This episode is just a section of a longer podcast originally published by the fine folks over at Nonlocal, which is a new podcast about quantum computing. Um, I'm doing this as part of the March Creators Showcase. And yeah, one of the advantages that they have over at Nonlocal, over my podcast, is that they actually know what they're talking about. Uh, their only disadvantage is my incredible wit and captivating charm. They're lacking that. Um, but in this section, they're going to go over the Merman Perez magic squares, um, what they are, what's the idea behind them, and how they can be used for certifiable random number generation, as well as you know a couple use cases for that. And yeah, when you're done listening to this segment, be sure to head over there and give the full episode a listen and subscribe to them because they're making really good content in the quantum computing space. Enjoy. We should say a little bit about why is the Merman Paris Magic Square so well known today? What do we use it for? Yeah. So, you know, why do we talk about this game so much today? Um, well, it turns out that this game has really useful and practical applications in quantum computing, in fact. And I'll describe one of these uh, applications today. One of my favorite uses of the Magic Square game is to get uh, something called certified quantum random numbers. Um, so let's imagine for a moment that uh, we didn't know anything about quantum physics. Like maybe we don't believe in it or we don't understand it. Uh, so we only know about classical physics. Okay. Uh, and we just heard that, you know, if Alice and Bob uh, only use strategies from classical physics, they can't win this magic square game better than uh, eight ninths of the time, right? So any strategy for playing this game that does better than eight ninths obviously can't be classical. Um, but we can actually say something a little more than this. Um, for one, uh, suppose you know you had some uh, experimental setup uh, where you have Alice and Bob, right? They're, they're pieces of lab equipment that are separated from each other, and you're playing this game in the real world, and you see that Alice and Bob are winning this magic square game 100% of the time, consistently. So what can you say about uh, the outcomes of this experiment, right? Uh, these lab equipments are producing these numbers that sum up to even or odd, depending on you know, uh, whether you're giving them a row or a column. Um, so not only are Alice and Bob generating these numbers uh, in a non-classical way, uh, they actually have to contain entropy. So in other words, their answers uh, are unpredictable. Uh, and in fact, uh, they can't be predicted by anybody else in the universe. Even the players themselves couldn't have predicted these answers ahead of time. So interdimensional travelers could uh, could potentially still predict it. Yeah. So uh, if uh, people can you know tunnel through space and time faster than the speed of light, uh, then uh, all bets are off. Uh, but I'm assuming here that Alice and Bob uh, are separated from each other. They can't communicate. Uh, just like in the assumptions of the Magic Square game that uh, Vinny described uh, earlier in this episode. So comic book writers take note. And my job title as quantum mechanician is at Jeopardy here, so I will hope that that assumption is true. Definitely. If, you know, if we assume that Alice and Bob can't signal to each other faster than the speed of light, then we get a lot of mileage out of this. So I just said that their uh, answers uh, have to contain entropy. They're unpredictable. And this is a, a super wild thing. So it's, you know, by playing this game, you can actually certify the generation of new randomness uh, in the physical world. And like I said, this is without knowing anything about quantum physics. So you can be uh, an adherent to classical physics uh, through and through, uh, but by running this experiment, you cannot deny uh, the existence of entropy 
that have been generated by this experimental process. And this is a super wild consequence, uh, in my opinion. It's it's putting Bell's theorem, uh, this magic square game, in in much more visceral, down to earth terms. So, is this just something you uh, observe on paper? So, here's what I'm saying. Uh, I'm saying that suppose someone handed you some lab equipment, right? And you don't know anything about how this lab equipment works, but what you do know is that the part of the lab equipment called Alice and the part of the equipment called Bob can't signal to each other faster than the speed of light. But you don't know anything more than this. You run this experiment uh, and you're seeing these numbers come out. And if these numbers correspond to winning the magic square game 100% of the time, like they're just always winning, then you have this guarantee mathematically that the uh, the numbers produced by the lab equipment must be random. So it's it's something that you know occurs not just on paper, but this is something that you're seeing on real in real life. But you're just describing a thought experiment, right? Does anybody actually do this? Good question. So it's not just a cool thought exercise. Um, people are actually taking advantage of what I just described uh, to produce certifiable randomness. So let me tell you about a, a really big example of this, which comes from NIST, which stands for the United States National Institute of Standards and Technology. Uh, they're the institution that uh, tells you uh, the definition of what a kilogram is uh, in, in the States. So what NIST has done is that they've set up a continuously running piece of equipment that's playing many, many iterations of a non-local game uh, that's very similar to the Magic Square. It's not exactly like Magic Square. And they're playing this game many, many times, and they're publishing the outputs of this game with some post-processing on the internet. And they call this their randomness beacon. So if Alice and Bob in this experiment are consistently winning the game each time, then their outputs are indisputably random. Okay, so what is this used for? Uh, Well, the idea is that it's supposed to be used as a trusted source of randomness uh, that could be used uh, by the public. So maybe if you want to run a lottery uh, and you want to uh, guarantee that the uh, outcomes of your lottery are fair and, and not uh, you know, rigged, uh, then you can use the randomness that's coming from this randomness beacon. Or maybe you want to conduct, let's say, a, a random audit, or you somehow want to choose, uh, let's say, random judges for court cases. Uh, these are actually uh, applications that are uh, suggested by NIST. Uh, they say, well, maybe you can use the randomness beacon uh, uh, to give some, you know, public verifiability uh, into your random process. But is it actually publicly verifiable? Like, uh, or do we just have to trust them? Good. So the point is that uh, yes, you do have to trust that NIST is really running this experiment, and they've set up their equipment uh, in a uh, you know sound way. Um, of course, uh, if you don't trust the government, and you know maybe there are a bunch of people out there who don't, um, you know, for all you know, they could just be. Uh, cooking up numbers, um, you know, any way, which way. But if you trust the part of the government that is NIST, uh, then the guarantee that you have is that these numbers that you're pulling off from the randomness beacon is random uh, based on the laws of physics. So just to quote you there, so you're taking the position that um, the government could be cooking up these numbers, I believe is what you said. <laughs> that That is totally off the record. <laughs> <laughs> so does anybody actually use these things now for... Like, do people actually do people actually need certified randomness? Like, my impression is that so far people have been pretty happy with uh, pseudo random number generators. Actually, I would say that people haven't been so happy with pseudo random number generators. 
there's been a couple of high-profile incidents where uh, flawed or uh, compromised pseudorandom number generators uh, have led to uh, weaker crypto systems um, or disputed uh, results. Even something as uh, commonplace as using random numbers uh, to uh, generate secret keys for online transactions and online communications um, when the random number generation process is compromised, this is actually allowed to uh, uh, security compromises. So people nowadays are increasingly looking for uh, sources of randomness that are uh, have more of a security guarantee. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I guess going forward, these things are going to become more and more important. So it'll be interesting to see if um, if this becomes something that uh, people want to actually use practically or not. I guess if, if they do, they've got uh, NIST is, is ready to go. And they're not the only ones who have this set up, right? Right. I think actually the another one of the goals of this uh, randomness beacon is not just to provide a source of randomness, but also to motivate other organizations and other governments to set up their own randomness beacons. Uh, so I, uh, if, as far as I understand, I think uh, there are other randomness beacons like one in Brazil and, uh, and in other places around the world. And if you're, um, if you're actually the one running the randomness beacon, making the measurements so you can guarantee that they're being made... Um, in uh, kind of in spatially separated locations, then you don't have to trust the software or the hardware that you're being presented with at all, right? Uh, you actually can then certify. So a government could certify for itself that it was generating random numbers without having to rely on the fact that maybe the, uh, the hardware is made in a different country. Oh yeah, that's a super good point. So uh, another really attractive feature is that, let's say um, some country which maybe um, doesn't have a uh, as good of a uh, engineering uh, manufacturing capacity, uh, they could buy these uh, this lab equipment from, say, you know, U.S. or even you know a place like North Korea. Play this magic square game uh, and still certify that the outcomes are genuinely random. And even the the designers of this lab equipment would have no idea uh, what this uh, what these random numbers are. Yeah, I was thinking even uh, for a country like Canada, that would be helpful. I mean. There's very few countries in the world that make all their own electronics equipment. So actually, a potentially important use case of certified random numbers uh, going forward in the future uh, could be blockchain. Not to throw yet another really popular buzzword onto this podcast, um, but uh, there's uh, a bunch of blockchain uh, companies uh, that have set up. And a lot of times when they get set up, there is a phase where uh, they have to uh, generate trusted randomness in some distributed way to set up the secret keys for the blockchain. You can imagine that um, you would want uh, you know, a blockchain that maybe involves you know, lots, you know, huge amounts of money to be um, secured in, in a more rigorous way. So maybe you can imagine blockchain that's certified by, these, uh, uh, you know, by the laws of quantum physics. So the, all this is really interesting. I mean, I think for all of us, we're most interested, especially in this podcast, in talking about the kind of ideas that lie behind uh, quantum computing and quantum information. But there's a lot out there now where you can actually follow the development of quantum technologies and watch as people try and take these ideas into, the, uh, into real applications. Um, so this will be an interesting one to keep an eye on. For sure. So this is uh, just a sneak preview of some of the cool ways that people have been trying to use non-local games like the Magic Square game. Um, you know, maybe this is uh, material for a, another podcast episode, um, but people have also used uh, the Magic Square game for things like verifying not just randomness generation, 
but also full-fledged quantum computations. But it's uh, quite cool to see how you know such a humble idea, starting from these uh, three-page papers from the 90s from Merman Perez, uh, have evolved to become actually used in uh, something that's useful for the real world, you know, including this uh, randomness generation. 